0: Yeah, we talking facts over feelings, check my statistics If we talking about GOAT, you gotta give me a mention This is Rational Hour, if we being realistic This is Rational Hour, said I couldn't do it, but I did it. Work Ethic like mom, but you know that boy is a It's a problem Tell me when to get them, then I got them, this is Rational Hour, I'm just keeping it a hundred, this is Rational Hour, everything you're doing, I done, done it. Welcome to the Rational Hour, Ryan. Please help me welcome a very special guest on today's show, Lovey Jung. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ryan?
0: Good. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the Rational Hour Ryan. Uh, my uh, frontline as a worker with the Riverside firefighter and a paramedic. Are you still currently working on engine one? How are things going for you?
1: Oh, it's going great. I'm actually, I'm working on engine five. That's where I am stationed at now. Um, And the reason why I have moved from engine one to engine five is because I got promoted to engineer from firefighter paramedic.
0: Now, 2020 was such a, a tumultuous year, lovey. Um, I know you've probably seen a lot and a lot of things going on. How have you transitioned from 2020 to 2021?
1: I think, um, you know, everyone had their setbacks in 2020. It was tough for everybody. To, so we kind of have to, you know, put it in perspective. Um, some people were actually worked from home and are still working from home. Whereas, you know, being a firefighter in the front line, we have to, I have to still go to work and uh, my coworkers have to still go to work and, be there for the community so it was not too hard of a transition for us at work just a couple different you know policies of our protective gears that we had to uh put on during medical aids but other than that it was an easy transition um for that part but then having to um, go on increased covid calls and worry about you know if we had covid or if we didn't have covid so that, that part was the difficult part. And then, you know, the community and everybody else going through um, COVID and get testing positive and losing loved ones. Um, So that was a tumultuous year, but transitioning from 2020, 2021 is easier because now we're kind of in the downslope of the COVID and um, it's not as busy or impacted, but it it is supposed to pick up here pretty, pretty uh, rapidly in the fall.
0: Yeah, lovely. God willing, everything goes forward and, and, you know, things go forward in the fall and the winter. Uh, Lots going on in the world, like you said. It's just been, uh, you know, tough for any parent, you know, with kids and, you know, things like that. And just, you know, just staying positive. Mental health is a big thing, you know, and and it's been tough on everyone. Um, Now, 2020 was a big loss for us. In the beginning of 2020, we lost one of the icons in the LA area, Kobe Bryant. where were you when you heard the news and how did it affect you when you first heard about Kobe's passing to the people in the chopper?
1: I actually, I was driving home um, from work that morning and I drive through that area from the 101 from mm-hmm. Riverside 2000 Oaks. And I remember as I was driving through Calabasas, how bad the fog or was from the, from the ocean and how It's like a little canyon that comes through on Las Virgenes, And I'm like, hush, I never seen it this bad before where it came all the way through to the 101. And it was was actually pretty low because I had to slow down in my car Mm. driving through the pass. So Mm. um, I was driving through and then I heard it on the radio as I got home what had happened so that's where i was so i was somewhat in the area and then i went to i actually went to lunch with um a couple other usa softball players toriah flowers and natasha Watley, and we were just sitting there just i guess in just flabbergasted because it was on the news now it was on tv it was breaking headlines and i i was like is this real like is this really happening and so we were just sitting there just watching you know having lunch um enjoying each other's company but then just watching this tragedy go go on on the news
0: yeah it was really heartbreaking uh when the news came down of the, the lives that were taken in that chopper um you bring um you know on the front line as a you know as a paramedic and a firefighter um visibility and in, in, in the chopper everything that happened um, uh, what's your opinion on that it was it just basically the pilot just had bad vision and it just with a cannon, you, were, you kind of were in that area. Uh, could you basically tell how hard it would be to navigate through that terrain?
1: Well, I'm not a helicopter pilot and I wasn't, you know, up there in a helicopter. So I'm not really sure. And I don't like helicopters to begin with. Um, I think I've, mm. ri- I've ridden in a helicopter one time and that was over Hawaii just to see the views. Um, and that's probably my last time, <laughs> but um, I, I really don't have an opinion on it. I could just tell you from what I saw early that morning when I was driving through. And like I said, I had to slow down on the one one freeway going through that pass um, in my, was, in my vehicle. It was that low.
0: It was that bad. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Now I love you growing up. Um, you started out in the islands. Um, how old were you when you left the islands and what was your experience? Well,
1: My parents came over to the mainland when I was about four or five years old. So I don't really recall any, um, island living when I was, you know, that young, Mm -hmm. but we, my parents were able, we went back, um, often and I go back often now to see family and friends and visit. And, um, it's just hard because my dad's mom, my grandmother passed away during the pandemic and we couldn't fly over or see her or, um, Even be there for the funeral, and then I also had like a um, cousin who just passed away from cancer over there. So it's pretty tough because of COVID. You just can't get around as easily as we used to be able to. Right. Um, And then even seeing loved ones in the hospital, you know, it's it's just tough.
0: Yeah, it is. That's the thing. Right now, it's just it's hard to kind of just navigate through your normal life because of this. Um, how big were your parents in your life?
1: Oh, they're a huge impact on my life. I mean, both my parents worked. Sometimes um, they worked multiple jobs just so that my brother and I would be able to play sports throughout the year. And they kept us busy in sports. Um, Just everything they did, they worked hard. They didn't complain. Um, we, I grew up in a small, um, apartment in Santa Ana with my brother and my fam and my mom, my dad. Um, so they, they just, I just saw them put their head down, work hard and they never complained about any of it. And my brother and I were able to play sports. Like I said, I was able to play softball, you know, and travel ball wasn't cheap. I mean, it's probably more expensive now, but it wasn't cheap back then. And my parents were able to navigate that, um, God willing, Ben, it helped me obviously play softball throughout my middle school years and high school, and then obviously into college.
0: Love you. How old were you when you first started playing softball?
1: I was um, probably around 10 or 12 years old. Um, I don't exactly remember what age I was, but I started off playing Little League baseball with the boys down the street and then slowly went into playing rec softball. And then probably I think my first uh, travel ball team was when I was 13. I played for the California Athletics.
0: Okay. Now, did you play for the travel ball team, the Firecrackers? Is that an AAU team in Orange County?
1: I did. I played for uh, the – it's a PGF team out in Orange County, um, the Firecrackers. So I played for them when I, was, when I was around 16 is when I transferred over to the Firecrackers. And then I played for them until I graduated high school.
0: Okay. And you got your start um, at Ocean View High School?
1: I did. I played at Ocean View High School and then my parents moved and I ended up at Fountain Valley my senior year.
0: Ninety-eight, class of ninety-eight. What was yes. it like in in uh, in Orange County in uh, the late nineties?
1: I mean, it was awesome. I mean, gas was I think like under a dollar. It was ninety <laughs> cents. You know, right. I remember those days? I'm like, oh, now it's over five dollars. But anyways, um, you know, it was great. I, my friends and I, we just, I mean, the school was maybe twenty minutes from the beach. We'd go down, hang out at the beach all the time. It was, it was fun. It had a lot of um, good memories. From where growing up in Orange County.
0: Oh man! So, was there um, so with softball in high school, did you play at Fountain Valley or Ocean View, or are you just travel ball just straight? No, just?
1: no, I I played high school ball because travel ball um has to has to stop right before high school starts. And then you play the high school season, and then you can pick travel ball back up again, or go play on the travel ball team. So none of the travel ball teams played um, during the high school season. They might have practiced or have gotten together, you know, to do hitting or fielding, but there there weren't any games that we played during the high school season. Everyone went to their respective high schools and then played in their high school, and then got went back to their travel ball teams after the high school season.
0: Okay, so. 98, you finished at Fountain Valley. Um, yes. Were you locked in on Fresno State, or did you have other options come out of high school?
1: I wasn't highly recruited, actually, out of high school. I took one other uh, trip to Marshall University out in West Virginia, and I took a trip to Fresno State, and those were the only two trips that I was offered out of my junior year. Um, and then I ended up choosing Fresno my senior year when uh, we did our uh, signing day.
0: Margie Wright, was she a big influence going to Fresno State? She is a legendary coach.
1: She was an influence and also the school and the girls that I had met. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, she uh, started you out, you know, your first game, you hit a home run, uh, 99. uh, I believe it was against UC Santa Barbara um, how were you transitioned from high school to college, or it? Did you see a difference in the game as far as the speed and the pitching?
1: Yeah, there's a, there is a huge difference in the game once you get into college. Um, the girls are just stronger. I mean, you go to college and you you're you have this schedule now. You get up early in the morning and you work out or you do conditioning, then you go to classes, and then after classes you're at the field from you know two or three o'clock till five. And then you have your study hall or study table um, for athletes after that, and you meet with tutors. So the girls were definitely stronger. They were faster. And most of our games were against top-notch teams. So you ha- they had more depth with their pitchers and their mm-hmm. lineup that you would normally face in high school or in travel ball.
0: Okay. And how was life in the Silicon Valley? Did you enjoy the city of Fresno?
1: I enjoyed the city. It was, it was nice. I I'd, I'd never been there before, so I didn't really know much about it. But I just visited there, you know, a couple times just to make sure that that was the school and the place I wanted to go.
0: Now, as far as your training, uh, you, did you prefer the infield? I know you were known to be in a second baseman. Did you happen to have a preference as far as infield positions—shortstop, first base, third?
1: I was more of a middle infielder. I enjoyed the middle infield. I really, I liked shortstop, but I liked second base for different reasons. Um, I like second because you had you had to do a little bit more at second base than at shortstop. I mean, there's the, you got to cover second, and on a steal sometimes, if the shortstop's not going to cover second and then you also have to cover first base on a slap or a bunt. So there's more I feel like going on on that side of the field what second base is concerned than what shortstop, but I I enjoyed both positions. I really didn't have, you know, any issues playing either one. It's just whichever one, you know, the coach put me at, I I would play, but I enjoyed both of them.
0: Okay. Your freshman year, you had a three thirty average, fifty RBIs. Your second year you had a three ninety average. Um, just you were off to a great start. Um and then you had a situation where you were looking to transfer. Can you fill me in on what exactly happened and, and why you end up leaving Fresno?
1: I just I left Fresno because I, I felt by that time it wasn't, you know, the place that I wanted to be or I needed to be. Mm. Um It was more for, you know, it was personal reasons and it wasn't, it was just different than what I had expected. Um, It's a little different now than it was back then. Like back then nobody ever transferred schools. Now everyone goes into the portal and gets picked up after the first or second year, freshman or sophomore. So it's almost unheard of of people transferring um, schools. But the, but what I can tell you is that I wasn't planning on transferring any to any college I was actually planning on quitting college and then going coming home and then going to a junior high to finish out my general gen eds and then figure figure it out after that and Mm -hmm. luckily I had um, a phone call with coach Candrea Mm -hmm. and he happened to be in Orange County because he was recruiting other players for his, you know, future teams down the road. And he just asked if he could just come and talk and have a conversation. And we did. And the one thing that he did say to me was, um, you know, I, I really want to be your coach. And I, I want to be more than your coach. I want to be, you know, a person that helps you throughout this transition from, you know, going from one college to another, and also from high school to you know early twenties. You know, because that's a huge transition. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, you don't really realize what's going on, but there's a lot going on. You know, in in um, young people's lives around that time, and transitioning from being a teenager to now being what you think is an adult and making your own choices. So it's um, it was nice to talk to him and the family community and vibe that he has at Arizona is what I was what I looked for and what I was excited to go into and the one thing that I um, knew after leaving Fresno State was that I wasn't enjoying softball anymore Mm -hmm. and that was part of the reason why I had left Fresno and his comment which pretty much hooked me was that he was going to help me love the game again and that winning wasn't everything and his job was to make it enjoyable but also know that you know there is a plan for the team so that's what kind of hooked me I wanted to enjoy the game I didn't want to feel like it was a job at that age I mean I was 19 years old and I just I just wasn't enjoying myself and playing softball anymore and so he came in and what allowed me to kind of transition into Arizona was the fact that I had to Richard a year. So that helped my transition. And it also helped me mature a little bit and grow up and understand myself a little bit more. Um, So I was able to transition into playing for him the following year and the girls during that year in 2001 helped me. I mean, I was, in complete awe when I first showed up at Arizona for a practice, I was just amazed at the talent that was surrounded I was surrounded by and how good the girls were and how um, structured they were and how focused and determined they were at
0: practice great program um, love you I know first we we started off with Margie Wright and uh, Fresno State um, your relationship with her and Whereas Fresno, you had, like I mentioned before, you had such a great start to your college career. Uh, were they feeling some type of way?
1: Uh, yeah, she, she, we had a conversation at the end of the season and, you know, she said she would like me to stay, but if I didn't want to stay any, anymore and she would just, she would be okay with that.
0: Now, initially, they, they didn't release you for your, your scholarship at Fresno State. No, did that, did that set you back at all? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I had to red shirt
0: okay. the following
1: year. So there's, there's a couple releases that you have to get. I don't know mm-hmm. if it's changed now, but when I had played, I had to get a release to play the following year mm-hmm. and a release to, um, I guess, get financial or not financial aid, but to be able to get um, a scholarship from the school I was going to. And she did not release me for either. So I worked all summer and all fall prior to going to Arizona in 2001. And a lot of that money obviously was used for my lodging and boarding. And then my mom worked really hard to find me the right financial aids to be able to pay for the school for that year. So I paid for, well I ended up paying in the end cause I got financial aid for my um, junior red shirt year at Arizona. And then the following year, Coach Kandre was able to put me on a scholarship for my junior and my sophomore year, or my junior my senior year that I actually played.
0: Uh, were any of the local schools in the running for you to transfer after you left Fresno State, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, any of the locals?
1: Yes, I talked to um, Coach Grimacki from Cal State Fullerton, um, but at that time I was pretty headstrong. It was early on, right after I left Fresno State, and I was pretty headstrong about, you know, I don't want to play. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to go mm-hmm. to junior college and do my thing. Um, and then Coach Candrea came in towards the end of the summer. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got in the conversation with him about transferring to Arizona.
0: Um, like you mentioned, um, Coach Candrea, great program at Arizona. The Pac-10 uh, at the time, Loaded with Cal, UCLA, just great softball teams. Um, you said you were not when you first stepped on campus. What was um, some of your practices like in Tucson?
1: They're intense, you know, and he has a schedule and he sticks to it and he expects a lot out of his um, athletes and his team. And the reason why he expects a lot is because he gives so much and he worked so hard during practice. So that's the one thing that made me want to work harder at practice, um, was seeing all the other girls work hard because they had been there. They knew the program. They knew the culture and the traditions, as well as watching Coach Kendrea. He just wanted to be better than everybody. And he would sit there and he had his Practice plan depending on what you did or what the team did the weekend before and going into the following weekend. And he just, he was just focused every time he knew what he wanted to, to obtain at the end of the year. And he was, he just does a very good job of intermixing all the athletes that come from all different parts of the country with different backgrounds, diversity and cultures and gets everyone together to be like-minded on the field and just mesh so that they have a really, really good team.
0: Now, Lovie, your career, I mean, you seem to just peak up, up and up in your batting average. What did you do to patent your hitting? I mean, how did you get so good at hitting? I mean, you really improved your average almost every year of your career in college.
1: Uh, I'd have to say... Uh, probably the, a couple things I would say one, I had to red shirt. So I was a year older when I went into my junior, my senior year, a year older than the other, um, girls that I played with and against. Um, and then the other part was that I was also playing USA softball over the summer. So I was playing with Lisa Fernandez and Lori Harrigan and, um, uh, Laura Berg, you know, I was playing with great, great athletes that knew how to play the game and play the game at a different level because now they were older and they're professional athletes and there was just a different take on being a USA national and Olympian. And they were all of them more Olympians at the time. So there was a lot of, you know, I need to pick your brain. What do you do th- What do you do you when you're in a 3-0 count? Or what do you do when you're in an 0-2 count? So I just was very lucky at the time to be surrounded by better athletes or better softball players than me Um, Mm -hmm. so there's just a lot to learn and when you play at that level of USA softball and against some of the best athletes in the in the world when you come back to college the game kind of slows down and you hear if you go back to this past year and Deja being on the USA team the last couple summers for Arizona you'll hear coach talk about how she had to up her game when she goes when she went and played USA softball. And then she you she also learned a lot from the older girls. Some of them are in their 30s, mid-30s, and have been playing the game for a really long time. And you hear him talk about how when she came back, you could see her more calm, more confident. And the fact that she could slow the game down now was be mostly um because she played usa softball and it played over the summer with great athletes
0: yeah that, that really um, can sharpen your craft when you play against a veteran that has been doing it for so many years on the mm-hmm. year you know playing as a 22 year old or a 20 year old and you're going and you're playing against a 32 year old woman yes yeah that, that that's who's almost been, yeah. you know
1: playing for a while when i came on the team You know, Laura Berg and Lisa Fernandez and Lori Harrigan and Michelle Smith, they all had three gold medals.
0: Wow.
1: You know, they played, you know, in a few uh, Olympics and other Pan Am games. You know, there's more than just the Olympics that the U.S. national team plays. Um, So there's just a lot of tournaments and a lot of, I guess, veteran mindset and focus that you can learn from
0: professional and and the pac 10 lovey I mean it was so top heavy I mean the top to bottom and um, you know, Arizona was right there Cal was right there UCLA was right there um, what are some of your biggest memories as far as playing in the pac 10
1: I think some of my biggest memories were trying to just focus on each and every pitch as a hitter and then just trying to get better at practice as a fielder. Um, and then also just duking it out over the weekend. Cause the schedule is different now, but when we played back then, I, I sound like an old person now. When we played back then, <laughs> um, if the schedule was you played two games, you know, at UCLA and then you would fly out Saturday night and play Washington Sunday. And then f- fly home. So it was a three-game series, but you would play two games at one um, university. And then you would fly to another one and play one game. And then that, it, that would switch the following year. Um, so it was. I just remember that after every weekend that we played, I was exhausted. Just from the travel for one, because you were flying multiple times. Not just flying to UCLA and then flying back. And you're flying sometimes to different time zones from one school to the next school on the same weekend. And then having to play some of the best players in the country, you know, throughout the weekend. And then we get Monday off, which was, you know, my nap day. And then you have to gear back up for the following weekend.
0: Oh, wow. That's tough. I didn't know your guys travel was like that. that that's really a, uh... That makes it a lot harder, you know, just to go from L.A. to Seattle, back to Tucson. You know, that's a big triangle. Mm -hmm. Love you. I mean, how much do you hate Cal? I mean, I just look at you guys' schedule from your past years in college, and Cal was like a thorn in you guys' side.
1: All the teams in the Pac-10 and in other conferences were really good. I mean, any given day, anyone could beat you. Um, But Cal – yeah, Cal beat us a few times when it really, really counted. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing it up. Um, yeah. But, but all the teams, all the teams were, I mean, they were just so good. They had yeah. pitchers, you know, two or three pitchers in their lineup that were amazing, and then there was no holes in anybody's lineup, one through nine, and even off the bench. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, like I said, all you know, when we got done with the weekend, it was just. I was just exhausted from just playing throughout the weekend and playing really good players and really good teams.
0: Do you notice a difference in the West coast compared to softball on the East coast?
1: I did at one time, but now that softball has grown so much, which is a great thing and Mm -hmm. more coaches are going out and teaching their methods, you know, across the country. And there's more girls, um, wanting to play softball because it's on tv and there's recognition and you can see um, you know players that you idolize growing up and you see them on tv now or before you didn't we didn't have that and it's amazing that all the games are on espn uh, and not just the championship game anymore so every single game is played played on espn and so now there's a wider range of a fan base and more girls can watch their, you know, mentors or their idols that they want to play, you know, like or colleges that they want to play for. Mm -hmm. But now Mm -hmm. it's a little different because now everything's kind of evened out across the country. So I don't really see any more of a difference anywhere um, talent-wise across the country. I think from East Coast to West Coast, a lot, all the teams are really, really good.
0: Yeah, I I just noticed, you know, being um, a fan of, of baseball and softball that, you know, they do these regionals for the playoffs, and a lot of times the, the West Coast teams beat up on each other, and I, I feel like there's so much talent when you look at the Cal State Fullertons and the, um, you know, the SCs and, and Long Beach States, and then, they're not I don't think the the talent is as rich and in, in the East. It seems to be more balanced now compared to you know our era, but it just seemed like a lot of the talent was more west than East in, mm-hmm. in, in the previous in the past decades. Now it seems like with travel ball and everything that it's starting to be more of uh, a balance. Yes. Now, lovey, your senior year, I mean you really raked. I mean, you had twenty-five homers, eighty one RBIs. Um, I mean, you led division one in home runs, uh, you guys lost a nail biter two one to Cal in the championship. Um, what are you thinking at the end of your college career?
1: Um, at the end of my college career, you know, it was, it was tough losing to Cal at the end. I mean, we lost to Cal my junior and then we lost Cal my senior year and that, that was tough. But at the end of the day, it was, you know, about the people and the relationships that we built mm-hmm. and, being surrounded by really, really good people. Um, I have to give, you know, coach, you know, a huge thank you for giving me the opportunity to play at Arizona and, and obtain a college degree. You know, it's not very many um, opportunities like that. So I think for me, you just have to see a different perspective instead of just uh, how you won or how you lost.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's the memories and just the bonds you create and the networking you created just from the people you played and and the coaches that you had. It means a lot in your life and your career. Um uh love you. So this past uh you know July we had the Olympics uh great uh season by the softball the US softball team. They lost to Japan in, in the gold game. Um did you happen to catch that, and what did you think of this year's Olympic team?
1: Well, I was on the selection committee, so um, the the team was is amazing. Like all the girls are great. Um, I couldn't ask for better role models for young athletes out there who want to be um, softball players and Olympians and USA softball players. So um, all the girls were great at what they did and um, how they, were mentors and idols for some of these young players. But I I caught a little bit of the game. I wasn't really able to um, catch a lot of the Olympics, not just softball, because of my own life happenings that were going on at home. Um, I was pregnant at the time, and I ended up um, giving birth prematurely to my second daughter, who's still in the NICU. So I was more...
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I was more focused on that than you know than the Olympics oh, okay. at the time but I was trying my mom would text me you know um Scored. scores and let me know what was going on
0: yeah I saw the championship game and I was really a, a great game I mean just intense intense Just great plays in the outfield I mean just quick plays uh just I was amazed with Japan's pitcher. they have this 39 year old pitcher that had been pitching they said for the longest time and um her and I believe it was Monica Abbott uh, had just a, a great pitching duel. Um, and it was um, unfortunate we didn't get the goal, but just a great season nonetheless. Um, I just I just love the whole team, just uh, the spirit that they had in the fight. You know, I wanted them to bring home the goal, but it was just uh, just a great game by Japan. So hats off to them. I didn't know you were on the selection committee, though. That's pretty awesome, man. So what is that in detail in there as far as um, – are you with a panel of, of ex uh, Olympians and you guys choose the field?
1: So there's a, there's a panel put together and it's um, five um, individuals and then two athlete reps. And I was one athlete rep and Destiny Martinez from Oklahoma is, was the other athlete rep. So, um, and then the head coach, Ken Erickson is one of the seven So basically, we go to tryouts, we get together, we have to follow all these athletes from all over the country. And um, we have Zoom meetings and meetings and more meetings Mm -hmm. about um, girls and the ladies who played softball. Um, And we just kind of have to, we talk it out and see what's what. And then the girls go to tryouts and they basically, that's how we decide. You know, once the girls get to tryouts, then um, we take their tryouts their, and their professional career into consideration. And we have to pick a team uh, based on that.
0: Okay. Uh, Lovey, take our audience back to 0-4 and Athens. You guys played Australia twice. The semifinal, you guys beat them 5-0. And in the final, you beat them 5-1. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about those games and how much they meant to you to bring home the gold.
1: I think I was just in awe. I was you know, first time, first time at the Olympics, and it was in Greece, beautiful place, um, amazing facilities, um, amazing time, great memories, and just doing it with all the girls and you know the sisterhood that we have. I mean, we still talk to each other, and during this Olympics, I mean, we were all in a text group, you know, just mm. cheering the girls on and you know hoping you know f- the best for them and. The 4 games were just amazing. I honestly remember a few things from the games. I remember um, playing Japan and I remember playing Australia and just, just being, I guess, just in the moment at the time. And it was so surreal to be able to win gold and be on the podium and receive a gold medal because... When Janet Evans was a swimmer for the Olympic team in the nineties, I was a kid just watching her win all these medals. I'm like, oh, it would be cool. Because at the time I really, really liked swimming and I was into it. I'm like, oh, it would be so cool to, you know, be like Janet Evans and receive a gold medal. And at, you know, in 04, I was able to do that. And it was just an amazing yeah. moment to be able to share that with other girls you worked so hard with for, you know, the last three or four years.
0: Now in the Olympics, Lovie, uh, do a lot of the teams interact as far as the during the whole festivities? Like will you see like Michael Phelps or Allison Felix around the around town or how does how does it what is the whole environment like?
1: So it's most of the athletes and the teams um, and staff members stay at the village, the Olympic village. And it's really it's it's huge. It's probably the size of a half of a campus, you know, a college mm-hmm. campus. And you have everything from a salon to a grocery store to getting your nails, you can get your nails done there. And then you have the cafeteria where there's a wide range of foods from sushi to pasta and Mexican food. And then, you know, you have your McDonald's that we um, relied on a lot, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But um, it's it's its own city in itself, and you do get to see other athletes like Michael Phelps and um, some of the basketball, baseball players, uh, Lisa Leslie. So it, it's fun, and I guess those memories of you know getting together in the cafeteria and just hanging out, you know, throughout the day, because there's really nowhere else to go outside of the village except to go to events or games Mm -hmm. and um it's just a fun it's a fun time to be able to spend time with other athletes who know the focus the work and the dedication and how much it takes to get to the olympics and to talk to other athletes from other countries as well Mm -hmm. is was also great you know good memories to be able to sit with them and talk to them about how they train because not everybody trains the same you know throughout mm-hmm. the world
0: yeah uh, also I mean love you've been around the world I know you won gold at, at the Pan Am games you're in Beijing do you have a favorite um, time as far as your Olympic career
1: I don't have a favorite time, but I have a favorite place. And, uh, we spent a month at the beginning of 2004 in Italy oh, and we stayed, um, in a, like on a campus that had dorms. So we had, we stayed together as a team, but then we were also able to travel to, um, Venice and to Tuscany and to Florence, but at the same time, we were getting up early in the morning and practicing and conditioning and doing our workouts and training together as a team. But that Italy is beautiful and the food is amazing hmm. there.
0: Absolutely, everyone says that about Italy. They say they have the the most amazing food. Uh, it's one of the places that's definitely on my bucket list. Um, I know you're a big Angel fan. Um, what do you make of the team mm-hmm. this year and? what's going on with the Otani and what he's doing as far as playing both ways.
1: I think that's pretty cool. No one's, you know, before in baseball, people are saying, yo, you can't do that. You can't play both. You can't pitch and hit and be a position player, you know, and he's able to prove people wrong and be able to do that and come in day on day in and day out and do what he's doing is amazing. And the angels are doing amazing. And they're always, you know, a favorite of mine. Um, ever since I grew up, you know, I always watched the angels throughout my middle school and high school years.
0: Um, that, you know, what he's doing, uh, you know, the Babe Roof of, of Japan, it's just unbelievable. I don't think it gets enough credit for what he's doing. He is just the unicorn. It's, it's amazing that he's doing, uh, at the level he's doing it. Um, a true MVP this year. I think he, uh, Is definitely worth the the pay of admission. Um, Do you think him and Mike Trout will get the Angels a title?
1: I don't know. It's tough tough to say. Um, I think you need more than an Otani and a Mike Trout to make a championship team and get to the championship, obviously. But, um, you know, anything can happen.
0: Yeah, it's going to take some time. But that's our two great building blocks. Uh, Now, lastly, um, Le'Veon, before we let you go – if you could sit down and have dinner with two people, any uh, anyone past or present, who would you sit down and have a nice dinner with if you had a choice of your own?
1: Uh, one would be Michael Jordan. And the other one, which I've actually was able to sit down in his office when he coached baseball at San Diego State, it was Tony Gwynn. So um, I think I just... Loved watching Tony Gwynn hit because he was very simple. um, Didn't do too much at the plate. Didn't have a lot of movement, and he hit for power and average, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly average. But I just enjoyed watching him at the plate because you saw him working a game plan. But he was also could hit the ball to the left side, you know, and on an with an inside pitch. So there, there was a game plan. He was always working. And you could see the wheels working. And um, one of the things that him and I had talked about in his office was I asked him, I said, what's the most important part of your swing? And he said, getting my hands back and in a position to go forward.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: so like the loading position, some people call it load, but his um, take on it was that, you know, if I got my hands back in it ready in a position to fire, then I would be ready. And if his foot was down before the ball was in the strike zone area of the strike zone, he was ready to hit and his body was in position to give him the best chance to be successful. And so I kind of took a lot of that and the information that he gave me and shortened, up, not shortened up my swing, but Change my swing a little bit to where now I was getting my front foot down before the ball would come in the zone and my hands were back before I would be going forward because before a lot of, a lot of people will tell you that hitting is all about timing. Um, mm-hmm. If you're on time successful, it doesn't really matter usually what your swing looks like. Um, you could have an ugly swing, but if you're on time and you can get to contact um on time you're usually going to be successful more times than not. So I took a lot of that mm-hmm. away, that conversation, and I um changed my swing a little bit to kind of mimic his. I didn't want a lot of head movement because I had to worry about the rise ball. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I couldn't hit the rise ball. So I had to figure out another way that I would be successful on the rise ball and that was to not swing at it. And the only way that I would be successful was to minimize the movement in, in my body. So I, I had less movement from my head, you know, going up mm. and down or front to back. And that was a lot of the conversation was with Tony Gwynn senior was more around, you know, getting your body in a good position to fire and be successful.
0: It was, uh, wow. That was one of my favorite players. Uh, him and Edgar Martinez are probably my two favorite uh, hitters of all time, uh, just real poetry emotion, good spray hitters, you know, just just knew how to slap hit and, and utilize, like you said, compact swing inside, outside, but just a real tactician, you know, and I, that, man, I didn't know that, that's inf- very interesting information, man, I'm pretty sure he had to definitely inspire you as far as your, your hitting mechanics. Well, Lovie, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I um, thank you for letting our listeners know about your life and your career as a uh, growing up in Orange County to becoming a great uh, Olympian, and uh, I thank you for coming on, and uh, maybe um, I can have you on later on down the line.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Ryan.